All right. Cool. So, welcome to WP Dev Table episode ten. I uh, wasn't sure we were going to make it here, but uh, nonetheless, we are here now. Um, we are back. I know there was at least a few of you wondering where we went. Um, as does with most developers, we get heads down into our work, and sometimes it's tough to pull back, pull our heads back up. Um, Bronson's company, Senza, was acquired by Human Made. He's kind of become a bit of a world traveler these days, and, and he's getting all the things squared away with that. Um, I've also been working on my own business, um, changing a bit of direction with it, and working on some things that I really can't talk about just yet. So scheduling's been tough. Um, but with that being said, we didn't want DevTable to go away. And uh, so we've kind of taken a little bit of a turn with it as well. Um, and to kind of really make it more of a roundtable discussion going forward and getting much more of a consistent schedule going, Bronson and myself decided to open it up to new co-hosts. And I'm psyched to have on board with me today Tom Harrigan. Tom's an avid WordPress developer. He's a great contributor to the New York City WordPress community, and I met him through our mastermind group. And I'll let Tom take a few moments and, and introduce himself. Hey, yeah, I'm Tom. Uh, I'm a principal software developer at Alley Interactive. Uh, we're a WordPress agency focused on big news media and uh, nonprofits, and we're one of the WordPress VIP partners. Uh, so I'm definitely stoked to be coming on as a co-host. Great. Great to have you here, Tom. Cheers. So, on today's broadcast, um, we have Michael Kelly on board with us. He's been a web developer for 10 plus years. He now finds himself in a consultancy type role with clients. At least that's kind of what I'm reading from his website of uh, pursuitofbeautifulcode.com. So, I love the domain name. <laughs> he's used and loved WordPress over the years. And he's definitely, you know, taken taking the podcast world by storm with his daily podcast, uh, The Grumpy Developer. Um, so, Mike, welcome aboard. Um, if you want to give, you know, more of an intro to yourself, that'd be great. Sure. No, you summed it up pretty well. Um, yeah, uh, Mike Kelly, The Grumpy Developer. I just uh, launched the podcast about three weeks ago. Uh, so three, four weeks ago. It's been about a month. And uh, and like you said, I'm doing. I'm trying to aggressively do uh, five a week, which is borderline insane. But uh, but I like the consistency of it. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into more of it later. But you know the the overarching thing is that I have been a developer my whole life. Uh, I think like a developer. I dream in code. Um, I do. I'm a huge WordPress fan. Anything that kind of pushes the envelope. Uh, love front end stuff. Uh, and again, I have sidestep more into a consulting type role uh, talking about uh, process and my big thing is that connection that blurry area between design and development and that is where I think uh, we have a chance for a lot of magic and also a chance for a lot of headaches which I'm sure everyone knows <laughs> yeah definitely so um, you said that you, you Think like a developer. You've been a developer your whole life. I mean, what was what was your first foray into development? How did you do that? Um, in 1988, or whatever. I'm dating myself a bit here. Uh, I'm 34, which again is not old, but in the development world, uh, yeah, I'm old. I'm 37. So, 
Don't worry. <laughs> so in, in 88, my family had a computer, one of those 286, had 16, uh, not megs of RAM, maybe Kilobytes. just... Yeah, yeah, 16K of RAM, hardcore, man. Anyway, I destroyed it by overwriting the autoexec.bat, the startup script or whatever, and, uh, and, and at that time, you couldn't call Geek Squad out to your house to fix your computer. It just wasn't an option. So my dad's like, you better learn how to fix it. And uh, <laughs> so I got into it, and I, you know, and I did, and I read, I read up, and, and, and I was able to fix it, but I was just fascinated by programming, um, and then I ended up taking as an elective uh, course in what fifth or sixth grade or something. It was an after-school thing, uh, learning uh, Q Basic. You know, back in the day, you know, write basic coding and stuff like that. And I blew my mind that you could write code on the computer to tell the computer what to do. It was an instant addiction. Uh, and then, and again, that was incredible. And I, I really got into that. And I wrote a bunch of basic games and programs and you know little things that you know we all do. Uh, and then, in light, and then web development came out, and to me that even that blew my mind even further. That now I can write code in one place, and everybody gets updated. I mean, we take that for granted now, the whole cloud-based thing. But it amazed me. I loved it. It got me so fired up. I'm like, this is this is incredible. And so I've been hooked on web development ever since. So what ended up uh, bringing you to WordPress then? WordPress. All right, so my first big agency job. Uh, I worked in South Jersey for a little bit in crappy little places, and then when I was in New York City, uh, I worked for a company called Code and Theory, uh, which they're huge now if you look up their, their thing. When I worked there, it was like 20 guys in an office making that's what she said jokes. Um, now they have like offices all over the world and stuff like that. But, um, but anyway, I was working with them. They're my first big agency experience, and... Uh, and yeah, and WordPress was in its infancy. I think it was maybe a year out. I don't even know it was version one yet. And MTV wanted, they were moving their blogs off of something, and MTV was one of their clients. And so they needed a volunteer to learn this WordPress thing uh, and move these blogs over from Blogger, I don't know what they were on, uh, but move them over to WordPress. And so I said, sure, I'll do it. And uh, I quickly just kind of fell in love with WordPress as a platform. And again, this is from the early, early days. But I still liked it. I thought it was cleanly coded. Um, I liked the, you know, the hooks, the plugins, that whole interface uh, was really smart. And uh, and yeah, and from then on, and WordPress gained in popularity really fast at that time. And uh, we had a bunch of clients that had blogging and light site needs. And um, and yeah, and I became my nickname was the WordPress Ninja. Uh, at at that office, and so any WordPress job that came through the door, they gave it to me because I, I knew it. I knew it really well, and uh, and it is kind of funny because that was God eight nine years ago or something ridiculous, and uh, and to this day I still use WordPress. I'm building a huge site right now for an agency out of San Francisco, and it's using WordPress multi-site. You know, so it's just it's just always been a part of my life. Um, it's either totally custom or WordPress. That's usually what I. That's just what I've done my whole career. When you first came onto my radar, I thought it was kind of funny because the first thing I noticed was that you worked at Code and Theory. And about a year ago, I ended up joining Code and Theory as a WordPress developer, uh, mostly because they were working on Vogue magazine. So I was yes. brought in because of the WordPress skill set. Uh, so I came in there. And surprisingly, there were very few people that specialized in WordPress, though the agency as a whole is very profi um, yeah, proficient in PHP. I think mm -hmm. they're using Drupal. 
Drupal for a lot of their stuff still. Uh, any new builds happening in Drupal 7 since everyone's waiting for Drupal 8. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I definitely thought it was cool in a small world that you know we both ended up working at the same company at you know much different phases in the company's life cycle. But uh, definitely cool to see that uh, you were working you know a block away from the office that I was in because they ended up moving offices about a year or two ago. But yeah, they got like 200 people or so in the Soho office right now. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and when I worked there, it wasn't even that Soho office. It was Greenwich. It was like mm -hmm. the warehouse. And I still remember. I have distinct memories of. Uh, the AC it didn't have like good air conditioning, and one time the AC went out, and uh, you know Brandon, the owner, he rolled in these portable AC things, and our Mac Pro towers were just overheating, and I mean, and there was stuff falling from the ceiling. And it's funny because now they're being featured in like all these magazines because their office is so chic and so pimp. And uh, yeah, so but but it is, it's really funny. But I love Code and Theory because again, I think they do have such a presence. Uh, they do have such a presence in the community, in the you know kind of development design community. And uh, just last week, I had someone on the podcast. Uh, I think his interview, Matthew Carver, uh, and his interview is going to come out next week or this week rather, uh, on my podcast. And yeah, it ends up I had no idea. It ends up he's currently a technical director at Code and Theory. And so we were talking, and I had no idea that he'd worked there. Uh, and he didn't know that I had worked there, and so it was really kind of funny that we ended up, you know, doing that that same type of thing. But again, I think that they are kind of there's a few big agencies and companies out there that I think are kind of hot beds for, you know, good developer and designers. And Code Theory is one of them. Happy Cogs another one. There's a couple like really forward-facing public um, agencies that are just hot beds for you know young developers and designers. I think they're one of them. Definitely. I think their design is one of those things that has kind of set them apart from a lot of the rest. And uh, I mean, they, a lot of their sites have gotten Webby Awards. And uh, a few months ago, I was working on the Webby Awards website for them. I'm not sure if that excluded us from being able to get a Webby Award for the Webby Awards, but you know, that's not a conflict of interest. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, right. Uh, you were talking about processes earlier, and uh, when I came there, one of the things that I noticed about Code and Theory was that they're very, very good at their processes and keeping things. Uh, definitely on schedule and uh, do a very good job managing the, the whole process of the project all the way from the starting line to the finish. So, uh, Do you have any thoughts about how that was when you were there? Was it the same, different? <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was different. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, this is, and this is kind of my thing, right? And this is what I, when I work with, with um, clients now, the main thing I do is I work with them in two different ways. So, um, and I think this, this is on our show notes at some point we were going to get to this. Um, but basically, how I've moved away from straight up development to a more consultant role, because I've realized that no matter how big or small the company, um, I mean, everyone knows you can't just throw more development at hours at something and have it get done that much faster. I mean, there's, there, that's part of the formula, but that's not the whole formula at all. And so, uh, having good processes is hugely important, and especially... Uh, it gets even more important as we go forward uh, and design and develop design and development. We can do so much more now, uh, and then the whole responsive thing, you know, blows it up. And all the new interactions that we have, these are all amazing things. It's progress, but it does make the planning and execution of these jobs incredibly, like, way harder. And so back in the day, back back when I was young. Um, we had, you know, it was that waterfall approach. You know, the the customer met with the, you know, uh, management, 
they said, hey, here's what we want. Design, got it, and they, you know, ooh, here's all your PSDs, dumps it on the developer, and the developer goes, okay, let me whip these up, and site launches, a little QA time, and that's it. Um, I think we can all agree that that doesn't work uh, in the real world, and especially not today, not in this day and age, when there's so much back and forth, and we do need to work in a more agile environment. Um, that being said, the whole agile scrum process is so heavy and has so much overhead, like in that very traditional sense, that um, most small companies can't afford to waste that much time on process. <laughs> so that's my whole thing is I work with companies to try to find a happy medium of, okay, how can we have a, a kind of an agile form, like an agile approach that makes sense and is time efficient. Yeah. And yeah. knocking out a lot of these issues before they get down because the problem with the waterfall approach is that you know, each step down the line, right? I, and we know as developers, right? We're the last part of that waterfall. We're just getting hammered by all the water that was on top of everyone, right? And so we can't send signals back up that waterfall. Like, if we get a design and we're like, why is this like this? Like, I can't, like, this is impossible. Or why did nobody think that if I add another sentence in this title, it's going to break everything? You know, we've all had, as developers, we've all had those you know, those thoughts, and, and that's why I think we need development involved earlier in the process so we can go ahead and we can find those things out and, and flush them out before, and, you know, and this is what we talk about on the podcast all the time is this whole developers and designers think two different ways, radically different ways. We just have a different thought processes, you know, and so I don't think designers ever uh, intentionally do evil things, you know, like put things in their design where like, what the hell is this? Um, maybe some of them do, who knows? Like, oh, the developer's going to love this. Um, but I think in theory, you know, as a whole, I don't think that that's the problem. I think the problem is that they just don't think that, you know, through that, you know, oh, I did, that didn't occur to me that, you know, when this site gets responsive and goes down to a certain size, that white text is going to be over the white part of the image and you won't be able to see it. Us as developers, we see that right away, and we're like, yeah, that, that's, that looks perfect at that exact resolution, but that's not the way the web works. And so those types of processes and thoughts, I, again, my whole thing is to get earlier on in the process to explore those things and to get back to the designer before it's too late, before anyone gets married to that uh, the design, say, hey, this design is great, but here's a few issues that I think we're going to run into when we hit development. And then they can go back and they can tweak that, right? And then so we can make sure that something is development ready before it gets handed off. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think also along with that, I think business do, does that as well. Business, you know, they have pie-in-the-sky dreams. They don't know what they can and can't do sometimes. And by the time we get as a developer get looped in a lot of times it's already too late it's this is what we thought we were going to do this is that so i'm 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 like you mike it's i'm very get me in as early as you possibly can even if it's something that you feel that it's an initial call that maybe mm -hmm. you don't think i belong on or whatever it's best if i actually hear the conversations happening then at least then this way I can raise a red flag if I see one. Um, and I'm always telling my clients, my clients now know they bring me in as early on as possible. I do work yep. with a lot of design firms and marketing firms, so a lot of these pie-in-the-sky type ideas that they have, they know me now. You know, they say, okay, well, let me let me loop in Jason. Let me make sure that we can do this. You know, yeah. 
and a lot of times, even if we can't do exactly what they want or whatever it is, at least we can provide another solution for them, right? I mean, I think that that's a lot of what we do is we provide solutions so that people can accomplish their business goals online. Um, and that, for me, is, you know, I think that's why when I heard about your podcast and I heard you talking and stuff, I was like, oh, this guy gets it. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's like-minded. He does the exact same thing as I do. He preaches, yeah. like, get us in early. Let's bridge the gap of communication, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just, but, you know. Because here's, here's what I don't think people understand about developers. Everyone thinks that... Um, you know, we're just like cranky, and that's my. By the way, the grumpy developer. You can tell I'm not very grumpy. It's not. Uh, it's not a jab on me. It's a jab on the stereotype that developers are these grumpy people that sit in their office and eat Cheetos and they're just angry at everyone because everyone, you know, nobody gets them. And and but I think what people don't understand is that I mean, at least for me, and I think most developers are like this too. I want to create something beautiful, something useful, something like that's important to me. I, I can build an ugly site in 10 hours. I can build a beautiful site in 10 hours. I'd rather build the beautiful site. And so, um, and, and I can't do it by myself. Whenever I design a site, it looks like Craigslist. It's bad. Um, so I, I love designers in the process, and I love working with, and this is why I have my favorite designers that I've worked with because um, because again, I want to build something beautiful too, and they want to see something beautiful. Um, and so we all have the same goal. We're just we have different um, jobs in creating that goal. And again, and like you said, get me in early, and not just for. And I'd say this for for anybody in the process. Get the developer in early, even if you don't want their feedback yet. Like even if it's not time for that. A big thing I think for me is getting people emotionally involved too. Because if you just dump a PSD on me and say, hey, build this, I don't know why I'm building it, right? Like, as, we're humans as well. Developers are humans, believe it or not. Um, well, most of us. Some of us are androids, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, but most of us are human. And so we need that emotional connection to be like, oh, I was in that meeting when the client was really excited about having this thing in here. And so we have context. We know the reason that something is in the design. And to me, if I care about something, it's going to be a thousand times better than if I didn't, you know, if I have no idea why we're doing this. I'm like, I don't know, I'm just doing this because I'm told. Um, anyone, that's not good enough motivation for anybody. Right, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm on point with that, for sure. It seems almost like just as important as the designers to receive, the annotations that come along with that are probably more important. Because as you were saying, that you don't care what the design is when you get it because you have no emotional attachment. It's almost like annotations serve to be, like, kind of an emotional attachment of their own or substitute the emotional attachment because annotations should be there to give you the reasonings for why things behave the way they do or how they should actually behave because a PSD does not do a good job of showing you how to interact with that file itself. You need those annotations to kind of bring it to life, right? And that's what the emotion is there to do as well. Sure, and one of the things I advise um, I advise my clients to do too is to have if they have a primary designer and a primary developer um, before that handoff, actually have them sit down and have the designer give the developer like a run through of the design. And I think uh, I mean because if you think about like road rage, right? When people are in their cars, they're jerks, <laughs> right? They don't care because there's no human connection. It's just car versus car. And I think when we have this handoff situation where like here I designed this now it's your problem we set up the expectation that for for 
we set up an expectation for um, like not controversy, but you know what I mean. Like, like of course we're going to, of course there's going to be tension uh, at that, you know, at that intersection there because we've set it up like that. There's no, there's no, we've dehumanized that handoff, right? Where if you're handing somebody a piece of art that you've worked on and you want to, hey, let me give you a tour of this and let you show you what I've done, you know, and then. Okay, great. Now I see where you're coming from. I see that you care about this, and uh, and now I can sit down and when I develop this, I can have that in the back of my head when I'm developing it. And again, I think it just makes a human um, a human connection. So often, uh, I've been brought in late on jobs where design and development are bickering like crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, and not like they're not literally throwing things at each other but you could just tell by like the base camp notes right that we're just lobbing bombs back and forth to each other right and they're like oh yeah well this and oh yeah well this and you know and I'm like whoa easy because again you gotta remember that we all want the same thing and actually just getting them to talk in a chat room it doesn't even have to be face to face but even talking through issues like issue by issue in a chat like slack or something like that I have found absolves so much problem, you know, so mu so much of that adversity. And I think designers, because everything's a give and take, right? I think we can agree that when you're designing or developing anything, especially on the web, it's all compromised. You can't, everyone can't have everything all the time. And so it's that compromise, I think, that needs to be fostered. And, and that's what that's what we have to do. And I think that when people have that personal connection and they're working, they feel like they're working together, not against each other, they, they can compromise a lot more. I've had the designers compromise on things like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, I see your point. Here, let me change that. You know, instead of, if, if that's not a good relationship, if that's like a, if we're fighting, you know what I mean, if I'm pushing back and they're pushing mm -hmm. back, right, it sets up that, it sets up that mentality that I'm going to push back on you and be like, well, it's in the design, so build it, you know, right. and that's not a good place to be. It seems like QA and acceptance testing play a large role in keeping your processes moving smoothly. Uh, is it primarily you that's doing that kind of uh, QA along the way, or do you have usually have like a dedicated QA engineer on board with you? <laughs> um, I'm 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 not. I, I I'm gonna put my foot in my mouth a little bit. I'm sure at some point. I'm very opinionated. It's a problem. Um, formal QA. I am not a big fan of. Now, I do think that these bigger jobs, right, with a lot of moving parts, does need a formal QA, right? You do need some um, some explicit user testing. However, I think in my experience, in you know, in all the jobs that I've worked on, I think 95% of all the QA, the formal QA that happens, is a complete waste of time. It's either something that should have been, that could have been, should have been, and often was caught in development. <laughs> um, and cleared up then, or it's something that we don't need to have this whole formal process about. And so, yeah, again, I, I, I just the QA, the QA thing is is interesting, and I do think that that is part of the process um, that I think is tailored to each client, right? Like, I don't have any formal boxed answer for how do you QA because I do think it matters a lot on the client. It a lot it matters a lot on your team. Um, but I think for my personal, in my perfect setup, 98% of all the QA is done during the development process. Uh, and then it's just a matter of formally going through and checking stuff. Uh, and, and that's just it, and using it. I think, I think betas are immensely more useful 
than uh, a formal QA process, to be honest with you. Um, most of the successful jobs that I've worked on, we QA the hell out of it in, in dev because, again, we all know what issues can or could arise, uh, and then beta it for the client, and the client, of course, is going to be very invested in you know, in making sure this works on everything, and so they're gonna, they'll do the QA for you, <laughs> and and that's what I have found uh, most of the time. Now, again, if you're building a big app and you have a big team, then you do need to have a formal QA process. But I think the whole agile development, Scrum, I think the formal, the, like the formal processes, I think um, waste a lot of time on QA that doesn't need to be. It's interesting. So since, I mean, from your website, it seems like you're moving more into the consultancy role away from a development role. How have you found that transition? Um, it's weird, right? <laughs> um, and, and the reason I did it is because uh, I've realized as a developer, you know, again, I was saying earlier in the show, no matter how big or small the client I've ever worked on, the same problems exist. It's wild. It's wild that you can do uh, a site, you know, uh, for Joe's Pizza Shack, uh, you know, down the road, and then you can do one for a multinational, uh, or you know, agency, and the same exact problems come up. And so that's why I've really wanted to move more into, you know, into a consultant type role um, with an emphasis on development. So um, think of me as you would now. Big big agencies like Code and Theory, uh, you know, huge uh, Happy Cow, all these guys, right? They have so many people, so many good people that their processes are nailed down, right? They don't have that problem. Um, and there's a lot of junior developers out there and people getting in, into development, right? And so there's no, there's no shortage. There's shortage of good developers, but there's no shortage of developers, just like as a, hey, I need a developer to do this. Um, and so what I wanted to try to do is come in, and this is stuff I used to kind of just give away anyway, right? Whenever I was developing a project, you know, I would do all this um, planning out for them as well, um, and so I'm just formalizing that now. It is weird as a freelance developer for years switching basically how I charge my clients from, hey, this is how many hours this will take to here's the expertise that, you know, that I want to bring to the table. Uh, and so my happy medium is kind of being brought in somewhere in between a project manager and a lead developer. And so, you know, because I do have such extensive development background, I want to use that and, you know, and educate the process, you know, for that. And so that's how I feel most clients like to use me now as, um, you know, as I'm on like a monthly thing with a lot of clients right now um, where I am their kind of lead developer in their back pocket. I am not writing the code, you know, but I am sitting through those, you know, meetings with design and development and the client and, you know, uh, kind of feeling out those problems before they become problems uh, and then setting up their developers for success, you know, not failure and, and, and you know, um, like harboring that really good relationship between design and development. And so, that, and so that's, that, that's what I'm doing now. Um, transition has been, um, it's been weird in some ways because you know, developers are kind of control freaks, right? We're like, J let me just do it. You know, I'll just, I'll just do it, right? I'll just write the code. And so I have the gut reaction every single time too. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's not that I don't like code anymore or I can't code anymore, or something like that. I, I actually really like to, but it, the time I spend on that, right? I would much rather work with another client to help 
streamline their process and so they can bang out like better sites faster and so you know it's just more of an impact I feel like I can have more of an impact if I consult uh, than if I just sit there and write all the code hmm. so do you are your clients more face-to-face because it does seem like you're you've lived all over the place um, at least <laughs> from the podcast right I mean in New York and Philly and now you're out west I mean why is it because of work Specifically, yeah. that you move all over. Yeah, well, I make a bunch of enemies, and then so I have to move, and it's bad. Um, no, yeah, I, I find the, the Drupal clan, and and you know, and we get along like we don't get along very well at all. That's one of the things that I always bash on the podcast. I just I hate Drupal. I think it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah, well, I, but, um, most of this audience probably is not a Drupal fan. As yeah, well. it's terrible. I don't understand why anybody would. Anyway, that's I don't want to derail on that. Um, so yeah, moving all over the place. I mean, you know, I grew up in South Jersey near Philadelphia, uh, and then I moved to New York City um, for Code and Theory. Code and Theory—they're the ones that got me out of South Jersey. And it's really kind of funny because I had no right applying to Code and Theory. I did not have the expertise uh, to work there, and but I did it anyway. I applied to MIT too. What the hell? Um, right? The worst thing I can do is say no, and uh, and so I had no right to really work there. But because I just didn't have the experience, but they liked the cut of my jib or whatever, and but so they called me out for an interview, and I went up there, and I thought, hey, free trip to the city, and um, and then they called me back for a second interview, and then they gave me an offer, and I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting to move to New York, but all right, let's do it. Um, but I met my wife in New York, and she's definitely she's from Texas originally, and went to school out in Seattle, and so she's definitely a you know um, a wanderlust kind of person. And uh, and she got she got kind of got the bug in, in me too, and so again slowly but surely I started freelancing and moving more of my clients online where I'm not face to face with them, and and realizing that the value is still there, right? I mean, if I'm giving a speech or something like that, it helps to be there in person for like short bursts. But for these weekly check-in type things, uh, video, Skype, all, I mean, even email or chat. Uh, is completely fine. So I realized that my physical location didn't matter so much anymore. Um, I, I'm an email address. I'm a Skype username. It, physical location doesn't really matter. I'm just now realizing that the time zone differences uh, do matter. <laughs> but but other I mean but that's still not even a big deal. It's not like working with European clients or something like that. Um, but yeah, and then so from South Jersey, we moved, my wife and I, we moved to Virginia, uh, Southwest Virginia, North Carolina. We had a small homestead farm, so we raised chickens and pigs and geese and I, who knows what else, a bunch of stuff, right? We just tried our hands as farmers, like doing the web development the whole time, right? Uh, so we were making money with web development and dumping it into the farm and watching it die. And uh, so <laughs> that that was really fun. But again, what a great experience to to be able to live in the mountains of North, uh, you know, Southwest Virginia, North Carolina. Um, yeah, I mean, and then from there, it was just we got kind of tired of being out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, my wife Erin, she went to college out in Puget Sound, you know, Seattle area, and she's like, y- "You're born for the Northwest. You belong there. You just never been there." Uh, and so I was like, all right, let's let's go. <laughs> and my brother recently got a job at Microsoft, so he's out here too. So I, I had family out here, and um, I love bikes, beer, coffee, hiking, outdoors, uh, clouds, rain, you know, all these things I, I love. 
uh, it just means everyone's like, why don't you live in Seattle or Portland? Um, so now I do. Well, so you've been in cities that have tech hubs, huge tech hubs like New York, as well as places where there are more cows than people, and now you're in Washington. So how does that compare as far as the tech scene goes in these different areas that you've lived in and what it's like now? We lose. Sure. I mean, my heart is still there's still a big piece of my heart in New York, and it always will be. I just I love New York, right? It's it's. I, I feel like it ran its course for me. Like I don't think I could go back to New York unless I was rich. If I'm rich one day, I'll totally go back to New York uh, and just be and just take cars everywhere, and it'd be awesome. Um, but but um but I love New York, uh, and again, I think I think that's just a really cool place to be. Um, Obviously, South Central Jersey, not a big deal. Philadelphia, not really a good tech vibe there, although it's getting better, I think. Um, when I lived down in North Carolina, I was near um, the Triad area, uh, so Greensboro, um, you know, that whole Greensboro area, Raleigh. Uh, there is a kind of a, a cool tech, you know, uh, uprising in, in that Raleigh-Durham area, which is near all the colleges down there, and of course, anyone who follows uh, March Madness or basketball knows about that area, and um, and yeah, and so I mean, so that's really you know that's but still pretty pretty low key. Um, the whole Seattle Portland area seems to be great though. Like there's a lot going on. You have meetups and a lot of yeah. There's a ton going on. Seattle Seattle even has one of the um, most active WordPress meetups that I've ever seen. And so, yeah, they're doing they're doing a lot of cool stuff, and I'm actually going to be giving a speech with them, um, I think next month about custom content types versus custom fields and that whole you know it kind of digging under the covers of some WordPress stuff. Uh, and Vancouver is again everything's right around the corner, right? Everything's like three hours right from each other. So there's like Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, and it's huge tech there too, and they're really pro WordPress. Uh, and then Seattle, and then Portland, and so all that's kind of right. There's like a corridor, right? You know, right down the line here, uh, and there does seem to be a heck of a lot of tech, you know, presence here, which is pretty cool. That's and pretty a awesome. lot of good beer, fantastic <laughs> selection of beer, which I think so, goes hand in hand with development. It, it's needed. You need that Balmer Peak, right? That's right. Uh, do you find yourself speaking at a lot of those events? I know Vancouver has a work camp coming up very shortly. If it hasn't happened yet. They do have a WordCamp coming up, and I have a speech pending with them, so they haven't approved it yet. Uh, and then, you know, again, maybe they won't, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I, I will keep applying for that. Yeah, I know they have a big WordCamp there. Um, and then uh, was it FrontPorch.io down in Dallas, Texas? There, you know, I'm, I'm going to be attending that. I'm not speaking there. Um, so yeah, actually, I haven't really, I haven't spoken at any events yet. And so that's, you know, again, that, and that's part of the reason, too, I wanted to launch the podcast and start building up, you know, building up this as well um, to kind of... Everyone's talking about it, as they should, because I think it's just as important as, hey, there's a new JavaScript framework out there, you know? I think we need to talk about process just as much as we need to talk about new toys, so uh, where do you see the show going, uh, and where do you want it to go? 
The Grumpy Developer? Oh, man. Yeah, definitely. Grump, Grump Nation. I want bumper stickers and, like, no, I'm kidding. Um, oh, that'd be awesome. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, honestly, the podcast, I mean, my whole mantra to this is that I wish I had this when I was working in New York, sitting on the train, and I wish I had this podcast to listen to when I was a young developer commuting into New York, like, to my job, to just hear to hear other people from all different you know walks of life and you know all over the country uh, talking about what they're passionate about and so I mean that's that's the goal right and so I just want to keep I just want to keep doing this and it, I really enjoy doing it I enjoy talking to people I enjoy seeing what makes people tick and what makes people you know what people are passionate about uh, and then there's just there's so much to talk about uh, in you know in the web professional industry um, that again, I just I just want to keep that I just want to keep the conversation going. Um, I don't really care about numbers. I don't care about fame or sponsorships or anything like that. If the podcast is something I never make a dime from, and it, all it does is support, you know, speaking and you know, getting clients and stuff like that, then that's fine. I I never needed to get you know to get any like crazier than that. Um, I just hope people you know enjoy it and get something from it, and and that's why I'm trying to. I'm trying to be consistent, but short. I, I mean, I do one take. I screw up. I say the wrong thing all the time. It's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I would rather just keep putting out those podcasts and being consistent. Um, you know, than than making sure every single one is like a perfect little gem. You know? Yeah. I mean, I know that when Bronson and I first started this, we wanted it monthly, and mainly because we just couldn't keep up. Right? I mean, like, with the time zones, I mean, we're 15, you know, hours difference. So that was, you know, right. trying to figure that out. But we both kind of were like, I guess, like, a little bit of kindred spirits, so to speak. I mean, he was <laughs> saying the same thing that I was saying here, and it was just like, you know, we were like, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, get people on, talk about things, talk about development, WordPress, geek out a little bit. But, like, we were like, okay, we're going to do this as a live show, no recording, that kind of stuff, because we just didn't really have the resources nor the time to do it. So how do you, how do you manage your clients and your work and then produce a daily show? I mean, you got, you know, you got bumpers and all that other stuff. I mean, we're just yeah. like, all right, you know what, here's the show, here's the people. <laughs> Well, I did mention that Pacific Northwest has a lot of good beer, right? Um, <laughs> no, it's it, it is it, it's quite insane. And I, any anyone who minimizes uh, the effort it takes to create a show, podcast, I mean, you, know, you guys are even way more produced. I was impressed with what you guys and you know even even doing like you know sending out those emails, all that stuff takes an incredible amount of time. Uh, and again, luckily, my wife is also uh, an, an OBM online business manager, and she has some design chops as well. So she's responsible for all the branding. She does all my design stuff. So I'm inc and she actually schedules most of the interviews, right? So I'm incredibly lucky, right? So the first thing is get help. <laughs> you know, again, if you're not married to your help, then uh, get get a VA or an OBM, so something like that, where um, because it is, it's just it's too much. It's too much. And the podcast was an idea that I had for I don't even I can't even tell you how long months, months and months and months. Uh, almost a year probably, and I never did it. I never pulled the trigger because there was always another job to do. There was always, oh, I'm just too busy. Oh, I can't. Well, my parents are coming into town, so I can't do it then. And 
Uh, and to be honest with you, I was terrified. I was terrified. I love talking, as you can tell, right? Um, but it's still terrifying to get on and do that and put yourself out there and just like, there's just a huge mental. I've been behind a computer my whole life, mm -hmm. um, so being out there front and center with your voice and and hear face and everything, it's um it's a whole different experience and. But yeah, anyway, but don't minimize like how much time it takes. It's it's in, it's in, it's an incredible amount of effort. Um, I think the biggest thing is just getting myself into that room and recording. Uh, once I start recording, everything's fine. Everything goes well. Um, again, luckily, and this is this is why my focus wasn't. If I tried to like edit, like go in and edit and produce and clean up all the, all the podcasts, I probably wouldn't have time to do it. To be honest with you. But I go in there, I try to keep the podcast to 30 minutes a piece, tops, because uh, I want it to be a, a nice bite-sized chunk uh, for people to listen to. Commute, commute length, you know, that, that's what I want. Um, and again, one take, we don't do takeovers. If halfway in the interview, somebody says shit, or like, oh, you can't say that, you know, okay, just keep, keep going, keep going. It doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Because um, I think it's, it's natural. I like this unedited, hashtag no filter, um, you know, whatever. Like, just, just do it. Um, and but I've already had to adjust things, right? Um, I thought, all right, I'm gonna do the podcast five times a week, and I'm gonna have four guests on, and Friday will be kind of a recap, thirst, you know, a recap show and hang out and like talk about the news or something like that. Uh, and I've already had to adjust a little bit on that and and slim down the interviews a little bit because again, it's it's hard getting good, you know, like quality guests on all the time. And I don't want to just fill it in with like, you know, here's my cat. Uh, we're interviewing my cat today because I just, I'm out of people. <laughs> and so again, we're really lucky because we do have so many, I mean, my schedule is just full of interviews of really awesome high end, you know, people in the industry. Um, but yeah, so we've already had to slim down interviews a little bit. So now, now what we're doing is we're doing two interviews a week. Uh, and then the rest is talking about um, you know news or a specific topic topical event, and so and so that so we're you know we're switching a little bit into that. I didn't want to have less podcasts though. That was my thing, right? That was my my whole thing is I want to have uh, a twenty to thirty minute podcast every working day, and so that's that's the goal. Anything else that needs to be adjusted outside of that, I'll adjust. But that is the goal. Nice. I gotta say, you're doing a great job at it. I, you know, I, I go to the gym, hop on the treadmill, which my wife has gotten me into as of late, <laughs> and uh, I just pump on the podcast, and it's great. Like you said, it's nice bite-sized chunks, you know, digestible content that's right there. Um, I guess why, like you, you kind of taking the web industry as a whole. Um, like you talk about things like Apple Watch and hardware and and things like that, like. What made you go down that route and have such a broad, you know, broad, you know, everybody's always about niching down and, and get to yeah. the exact specific question at hand. I mean, what, why did you kind of go against that grain and say, you know what, I'm just going to talk about everything web? Yeah, yeah because, because, I mean, haven't we learned, haven't we learned as uh, in our industry, we haven't learned yet that... Um, you know, the, the more things advance and change, the more things kind of mesh together. Uh, and the more, I mean, look at everything. Responsive web design, right? It's all about having one, one experience. Uh, you know, Microsoft, Windows 10, that's, they're trying to make a unified experience. Uh, iOS and, and, uh, and OS 10, every revision, 
they start sharing more things, right? So everything is becoming more and more integrated. And us as designers and developers, right? I don't want to sit there and be like, you know what it is? When I was a kid, I still remember when I was getting into the industry. I thought my my biggest fear, my biggest fear when I started to be getting into the computing world and you know technology was I don't want to be a dinosaur, right? I've I've known those guys, those older you know those older guys who were like, oh, I I work on Java mainframes or whatever, and they never changed. They're like, I'm a Java mainframe guy, and then they never they never pushed out of that. And they're working at Home Depot stocking shelves, which there's nothing wrong with that. But they could have avoided that if they kept up, if they weren't so resistant to this change. And I get really pissed off when I hear people say, oh, the web is dead, you know, oh, everything's native app, right? I think that's hogwash. I think it's silly because um, I do think there's a time and place for both, you know, to live in the same ecosystem. Um, however, however you would be a fool to not pay attention to that kind of thing, you know? If I was a stick-in-the-mud developer and I'm like, well, I don't want to make responsive sites, you know? If you're not on desktop, I don't want you on my site. I mean, that's a stupid idea. And I think the same thing is going to be happening for uh, virtual reality, for Apple Watch, for all these wearables. All this technology is they're where your consumers are. And again, they're the ones paying the bill. At the end of the day, right, they're the ones paying you. <laughs> you know, they're voting with their dollars, uh, buying their devices, and supporting their companies. And so I think that you have to just keep keep your eyes open to everything. Um, and I think that younger developers and designers should do the same thing too. I think they should cast a wide net. There's nothing wrong with being aware of everything but focusing on one thing, right? Like I'm really big on process and uh, bridging that gap between design and development, right? I don't, I won't, I'm not going to take a Drupal job, right? I know how to do it. I don't want to. You know, that's not where I want to spend my time. But I'm aware of all these things. I download the new, you know, I'm working, I'm doing a, a project on Meteor, JS, the new framework that everyone's all excited about. It's probably not going to be my career, but I want to be aware of it. I want to embrace all the things that are out there. And, and so I can, you know, go ahead and, and, and educate decisions and, and, you know, do, do all that. So the Web Pro Guild is a huge initiative that you've kind of taken on. And is one of the outcomes of that to kind of keep people from turning into dinosaurs? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? And as we turn more into um, so, so many more people are freelancers, or they're working in like little small rings, or you know, again, I, I was, I was, I think I have an interview coming up with a guy in like Chattanooga, Tennessee, a couple-person agency. They make beautiful things. They make beautiful work. They're really pushing about. You would never think like, oh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Sure, they're going to be a hub for you know this, and they're not really. But there's talented people everywhere, right? And so they don't have the uh, luxury of going into a, a fancy coffee shop in Seattle or. New York and networking or being not everyone can work at a code and theory right um, and and that's what I kind of take is like when I worked at code and theory I worked with some of the best designers and developers that I've ever seen right I went from a white belt to a black belt in that company you know what I mean like I learned so much and because I was surrounded by really good people and because I could ask questions and I could learn and we could bounce ideas off each other and so it's that kind of collaboration uh, which inspired me to do the podcast. It's inspiring me to do the, you know, to build the Web Professionals Guild. Um, again, you have to have like a mission statement, a core nugget of what you want to accomplish, or else you'll be all over the place. Um, and my whole thing is a big professional kind of water cooler type 
you know, thing, this collaboration, right? I want a designer to be able to go on there and say, um, hey, I'd like to just kind of post this up to any developer that's out there. I'm thinking about this layout for my homepage. What do you think? You know what I mean? And to get feedback on that right away and have people go on there and be like, yeah, yeah, I think that, you know what I mean? Boom, 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 boom. Or um, developers helping each other out. And there's things like Stack Overflow. And there, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not recreating the wheel here because um, there are things, if you're looking for something specific, but again, it's harder to say, hey, has anyone used Meteor.js? What do you think of it? You know what I mean? That's a harder thing to Google. And so I think that's where collaboration comes into play, and that's where things get really interesting. And I think you get a lot of value and a lot of growth out of that. And so that's what Web Professionals Guild is. is, is that's what I want to do. I want to create a community uh, of these people who are passionate about their jobs and want to move the web into a, a great place, you know, and they, they want to they see it go, go further. And, um, and the only way to do that is together. Was it, was it uh, lost... Uh, Live together, die alone. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm in the final season right now. Jack, Jack, yeah, yeah. There you go. Come on, nerd out with me, guys. You know. Um, but yeah, no. There's that that whole thing. And again, I think the only way forward is together. And I think that right now, in you know, out there on the web, I don't think that there's anything that's truly community collaborative like that. And I think that is that's what I'm trying to create, right? People that and a troll-free environment, right? Not like uh, oh, Meteor sucks. That's not useful, right? Um, I mean, Drupal sucks. You can write that, um, but th that's allowed in the web professional scale. <laughs> no, okay. But again, people having those opinions and fostering that discussion, right? Um, but I wouldn't just say Drupal sucks. I would list the reasons why it sucks and why you should probably use something else, right? That's useful. And I, I, again, I implore people to do that for me or anybody else out there as well. So what does your MVP look like for the guild? Is it what you just described, or is there maybe a smaller goal that you can see that would create the value that's needed for people to actually use it? Yeah, so uh, August 1st, we're launching, we're launching, and it, it's beta, right? So we're going to be testing it out. Um, you know, if, if I have learned nothing else from 10-plus years of development, it's that uh, the product is almost never used how you think it's going to be used. You can do all the do all the testing and interviews you want, right? It doesn't matter. Once you get people in there using it in real life and putting real data in there, uh, it gets real and you gotta adjust. And so that's what so that's what we've been talking about here, you know, the team here is like trying to chisel down what's the core experience that we want. And so for August 1st, what we're doing is we are launching um, the, you know, the community, right, where you can, again, we'll have beta, too. We're going to preload it with some people and get beta, and I have some focus groups that are going to go in there and start doing this stuff as well because um, I really want to flesh this out. But what we're focusing on is the functionality um, to go ahead and have – it's mixing, basically, it's mixing three things, right? It's mixing uh, things like uh, – it's taking the best components of a forum-based system uh, and then a group type system like Facebook, and then a chat type system like Slack, right? It's combining those three things. It's taking the best out of each one of those things and combining them so you have something that feels alive and has a pulse, but it's still organized and not just a free-for-all like a big chat window. 
And so that's the core nut of what we want to do, right? We're going to plug in a bunch of other stuff. We're going to have training materials. We're going to have, you know, uh, tutorials. We're gonna, I mean, we are going to load this up, and it's going to evolve over time. But for August 1st, the main thing I want to get is that collaboration, right, to have people be able to kind of have this, like, up. And during – so, you know, when I'm sitting there building stuff or working, you know, on stuff, I can have that open. And so when I grab my second coffee or whatever, I can pop that open and see, oh, what's happening? What's happening in the front end? area, front-end development area, yeah, I'm curious, and then, oh, here, I have some opinions on that, and, you know, just that, that back and forth, I mean, the same way people use Stack Overflow, they'll go in there and, you know, answer questions just for the better of it, and, and we're going to gamify it as well, too, so, I mean, it, you'll be able to have badges and stuff like that, and the more that you kind of interact and talk with people, you know, your score goes up and, and all that kind of stuff, because we want to, again, the whole point is we want to foster this collaboration. Cool. Where can where can people find out more about that or sign up for the newsletter for the launch or? Um, let me see if it's uh, Web Professionals Guild, and I think it's I think there is a a page up there now. Nope. <laughs> Again, I have the I have the domain. Um, the the best thing to do is probably go onto um, the Grumpy Developer. Um, so um, the Grumpy Dev uh, and just sign up for the mailing list there. Because again, you know that Web Professionals Guild and and the podcast are really, you know, they're going to be hand in hand. I'm talking about it as we go through and develop it. I'm talking about it on the podcast too, kind of giving updates. Uh, and then obviously, you know, the people that I want in there, right? Especially for beta and early release and stuff like that, are the people that are passionate, that care, and those are the people that will be listening to the podcast and will be, you know, will be active like that. So yeah, there's no formal documentation on the Web Professionals Guild yet. But I would say keep an eye on the podcast uh, and go to you know thegrumpydev.com uh, and sign up for that mail. You know, just pop your email in there, and that way when things do get released, um, you know, again you'll you'll be the first to know. Could you maybe talk a little bit about the tech behind it? Because I'm kind of interested in that. I, I run a startup sure. that makes um, white label Stack Overflow clones, uh, so I was wondering if you're using something like OSQA, maybe. So actually, this is going to be we're going to and 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 I and I, I kind of gave the ghost away a little bit, um, and this is why I've been playing with um with Meteor. And so Meteor, I don't know if you are familiar with the uh, the, the Meteor framework. Um, I've been doing quite a bit of research on uh you know on, and again I've used um Angular and um what's the other one Backbone Marionette. I've used all those runs right, and they're really just just big libraries that included. And then you have a stack right. You're like Oh, this is on uh, Backbone Marionette handlebars, and it's just a huge stack, right? And I'm a minimalist, so that hurts my brain. I'm like, no, that's terrible. Like, you're building a tower out of really unstable things. Like, it's Jenga. You're playing Jenga with web technology. Uh, and Meteor, and Meteor doesn't do that, right? So Meteor is the first framework to say, well, maybe not the first, but the most organized one, and they just got $13.1 million investment. Uh, so there's a lot of movement behind that. The community is really amazing, um, but they're the ones that you know. It's the stack is that it's Meteor, like that's that's the stack, right? It's the templating engine, it's the code engine, it's the it's everything, and it, you know it's Node.js based, so it's JavaScript that runs server side and client side. Um, it's I've again I've been playing with it. I've done enough research where um, I know that's what we're going to build the Web Professionals Guild in. It's going to be built in Meteor. Uh, which is really exciting. Uh, and then again, that has from Meteor, we can deploy straight to iOS, straight to Android. You know what I mean? It just has a it has a nice separation between the API 
Um, it's just, I think it's going to be incredible, and it's going to be, it, it pushes my comfort zone too. <laughs> you know, I, I want to build it in like traditional PHP and, and, and WordPress, right? But it, that's not the right tool for the job. And I always talk about use the right tool for the job. Um, you know, don't go to your toolbox and pick out your favorite tools and then go to your car, you know, see what you got to do and then, <laughs> you know, pick the right tools for it. And so, yeah, so it's going to be, it's going to be a meteor, which is really exciting. Awesome. Yeah, this has been a, a tremendous, tremendously passionate interview. So, you know, Michael, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for coming on board. Um, yeah. This has been great. Uh, where can, you know, I think everybody pretty much knows where to find you at this point, but uh, <laughs> where, where can people reach out to say thanks? Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I just, just go in, in iTunes or Google Play or whatever. I mean, it's on, it's on everything, right, the podcast. The podcast is the biggest thing, right, because as the podcast gets more, you know, listeners and downloads and reviews, review the podcast if you like it. Stuff, you know, little things like that I think will help because then more people will see it. And, and that's, again, that's the whole thing is, you know, a community is only as good as the members in it. And so, you know, by, you know, by having more people in it, you know, you, you have those, all those passionate people float to the top and then they create this awesomeness. And so, I mean, that's, that's the best thing, right? So, you know, check out the podcast. Um, you know, the, you can go to the website, uh, you know, the Grumpy Dev. Um, you know, Facebook, we post a lot on Facebook. So it's facebook.com slash... Uh, the Grumpy Developer. Um, I don't know if you guys are on Periscope yet, but every Thursday night, uh, I drink uh, an excessive amount of beers and answer tech questions and make fun of people, and uh, and then use that as Friday's podcast material. So on Periscope, it's Grump Dev Podcast, which is the same as Twitter, um, and that's kind of a fun new technology. Again, you got to embrace all the new technology and test it out, and Periscope's an interesting one. I'm very curious to see where they're going to go with that, but... <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. And obviously, if you know, you know, if, if anyone's working for a company who, um, who does need help with processes or, you know, help in that lead developer type of thing for planning for a big job, maybe you got a big job in, you have a bunch of really talented developers, but nobody's really taking the lead and planning stuff out there. Um, those are the types of clients that I'm interested in as well. So, again, you know, a company snagged a big job and you know, oh we got this big job and now but now we gotta plan for that. We gotta, you know, we gotta get this thing planned out and build it out. Um, you know, those are the types of clients I'm interested in as well. Nice. Great. Thanks. Tom, where can uh people reach out to you as well? I'm on Twitter at Tom Harrigan. Uh on my website at thomasharrigan.com. Uh I'll try to write more blog posts here and there. Uh also I'm working on getting a YouTube channel off the ground called Tom Press. Uh, so I should have some videos coming up pretty soon. I'll be speaking at a few WordCamps and meetups in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully those will make their their way onto the channel as well. Awesome. Tom Press, I like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at Rez online or at WP Dev Table um, on Twitter. Uh, I'm also having a lot of different things as well. I'm going to start exploring Periscope as well. So I'll probably see you uh, Thursday night now. Now uh, that. I know that that's your regularly scheduled program. I'll check it out. Um, but I thank everybody for tuning in. If you want to know when our next show is or get tips and tricks from us, go to wpdevtable.com slash subscribe, and that will pop you right onto the newsletter. 
Um, remember to like, share, subscribe via iTunes or the RSS feed, um, and YouTube, of course. Um, if you want to join in on the discussion, feel free to comment. I'll have the show notes and everything for the for this show tomorrow. Um, and if you're a first-time viewer, please be sure to catch up on our past shows and get your dev on. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jason. Thanks. It's been a pleasure.